As Pastor Rick mentioned, we're going to talk about church. We're going to start this series on church here. Um, And as we do, I have a question for you, question for you to think about. Have there been things in your life, think about this, have there been things in your life that you have started with the absolute best intentions? And when you started them, you pictured all the great results that you were going to achieve, But somewhere along the line between your great intentions and a great start, the reality of how difficult and how hard the work would be for that thing caused you to just kind of give up along the way. Have you ever had those moments in life, those those things that you were going to go accomplish, the things that you were going to do, the great things that you were going to do, and you started out with the best intentions, you started out with, with great thoughts of all the great things that were going to happen, but as you engaged in that process, the reality of how difficult it was and how much work it really took caused you just to kind of give up the dream and and move on. I've done this multiple times in my own life with the gym. Maybe you've done this too. (laughs) Many times I have walked into a gym for the first time with the best of intentions and I'm going to join the gym and pay the membership fee and this is going to be the time that I actually show up and that I actually go time and time again. I I picture myself, I can see myself walking into the gym multiple times a week. I can see myself doing it, working out on all the equipment and running on the treadmill. I can see myself doing it and I start out with the best intentions. But then the reality of fighting the traffic and working all day and trying to get to a gym, the reality of, of how much effort it really takes uh, to, to lift up a weight and do something with it, the effort that it takes to actually stand on the treadmill and move, all that effort kind of gets in the way of my best intentions. And even though I had a picture in my mind of everything that I would accomplish and everything that I would do, uh, you know, the reality of how difficult that is and how much work it actually takes gets in the way. And, and it causes me to, to not necessarily abandon the whole project, but I usually find a middle ground. I think to myself, maybe if I just think about going to the gym, maybe if I just picture myself doing exercise, I'll get the results that I want. Or maybe if I can at least get myself in the room and I'm just kind of around the weights, I, I, I see other people. Uh, working out on the machines. If I can just kind of be in the general vicinity, I can hear a fitness instructor off in the other room telling people what to do. If I could just kind of be around it and sort of, and sort of take it all in, or if I could just sit at home and just watch the infomercial of the workout videos, if I could just watch that for 25 minutes, then maybe, maybe I'll achieve the same results. Well, I've actually put that into practice just trying to think about it and be around it. I've practiced that. And I, and I want to show you the results of that this morning. In fact, this was me before I started doing this. This was me before. It's what I looked like before. Okay? And this is me now. See, there's no change. Because to have change... You actually have to engage in the work. You have to actually do the hard work in order to have change. And we do this with all all sorts of things. 
We set out with the best of intentions. Maybe we're going to get our finances in order. Maybe this is the year we get our finances in order. And, and, and we, so we start with the best intentions and we take the class or we buy the book. And then the reality of the budget and the unforeseen expenses and thinking through everything and, and talking to your spouse and just and doing it, it kind of forces us or makes us just really not put forth the effort. Or maybe it's the time that the time that it's time to stop that habit that you wish you had stopped a long time ago. This is the time you're done with the swearing. This is the time you're done with showing up late. This is the time you're done with being angry. This is the time that our family starts having dinner together. All these things that we want to try to do, and they seem like such great ideas, and we start with the best of intentions because we're hopeful for great results. But the reality of how hard these things are how difficult they are to apply into busy lives. The constant reminders we need to change our behavior and make things happen cause us to, to kind of try to find some sort of, of, of middle ground. And you know, the same thing happens when it comes to going to church. We think to ourselves, this is the time in my life where I am finally going to grow closer in my relationship with God. Or maybe you think, it's about time that our family added a little spirituality to everything that's going on here. It's about time that we, that we grow closer to God. It's about time that we think about these things. It's about time that I put some effort into my walk with God and my relationship with Jesus Christ or however it works. It's about time that I start to do something. And so we picture that we're going to start going to church and it's going to be this great experience and we're going to grow and our family is going to grow closer together and we're going to grow closer to God and it's going to be this fantastic experience and then we go and the reality of the work that it takes sometimes to be a part of the church can cause us to disengage it's a lot of work to go to church and to be a part of a community it's not easy it takes a lot of work to get up on Sundays and to show up here Sunday morning is the last morning we have in this crazy world. It's the last morning a lot of people have where there's nothing going on and nothing to do. There's even here in Massachusetts some high school sports and extracurricular activities that are happening on Sunday mornings. Pop Warner's happening on Sunday mornings. But for many of us and for most of our families, life is so busy and things are so crazy that Sunday mornings is, is really the last time that's left where there's not much going on for a lot of people. And so to make the effort to change that pattern, to get up earlier in the morning, to get the kids all together, to get everyone looking the right way that, they, that you want them to look as they head out the door, to ha- make sure everyone has something to eat, and to actually get into the building, and then to get your kids checked into kids' church, and to come in and to find a place to sit, and to go through the whole process is a lot of work sometimes. And not only is it work to be here, but then we come in the room, and and we think that if there's any place, if there's any place where all the junk in the world all the brokenness in the world, all the things like gossip and competition and just drama, drama in general that's just out there in the workplace and at school and everywhere else. We say to ourselves, if there's one place where that drama shouldn't exist, there's one place where it just shouldn't be, of course it should be in the walls of the church. And then we get here 
And sometimes there's more drama here than outside. Now, I personally am someone, I like to minimize drama in my life. Whatever I can do to minimize the drama, that's what I want to do. But sometimes there's a lot of drama in the church. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, some folks that have, that have since moved away, I got a call one day. And the person on the other end of the line said, Pastor Brian, my neighbor, who also attends Mount Hope Christian Center, borrowed a DVD from me four weeks ago. And they have not returned the DVD, even though I have asked them to return the DVD multiple times. Now, Pastor, as a pastor of Mount Hope, you, no question mark here, no question mark in this statement, you need to go to their house (laughs) and tell them to return my DVD. Now, I know a lot of pastors, we wear a lot of hats. We do a lot of different things. I never thought DVD repossession would be a part (laughs) of the gig. They were very serious. And I did not go. I don't think that's part of my role. But we had a different conversation. But, I mean, just things like that happen. Tension. Relationship things. Messy things. Gossip. Sometimes we're hurting. No one notices. Sometimes we just need someone to reach out and no one reaches out. Sometimes we feel like we're reaching out to everybody and no one will receive it. We get a lot of broken people together in the church. And so things happen and it can be a little messy sometimes. In fact, when we get together in the church, our common bond is Jesus Christ. That's our common bond. When we make friends outside of the church, when we have social relationships outside of the church, we have different common bonds usually that when we make those relationships. We work at the same job. Our kids are the same age. We're part of, we're at the same neighborhood. We're in a similar uh, socioeconomic class. I mean, this is how people make relationships. We're the same marital status. Usually our close friends, they, they mirror us in many of those ways. But in the church, we kind of take, we take all sorts of different people whose only common bond is Jesus Christ, and we throw them all together in relationships, and sometimes it can just be a little bit messy. And so not only is it a lot of work to go to church, but then you get there, and there's, and there's a little bit of tension, a little bit of drama sometimes. Relationships don't always click the way that we think they should. The body doesn't always function the way that we think it should. And then, not everything is, is our personal preference when we walk through the door. We don't really love maybe the music, or we don't love the lighting, or we we don't love the preaching, or we would have picked a different Bible passage, or we would have picked a different thing for our kids to do, or we would have served a different coffee. I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is, that we have all these personal preferences then that we that we think about and that we and that we we worry about and wonder why it's not happening the way we would do it if we were in charge. And all these things kind of combine, and, 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 and when we're hurt, and when there's, when there's all of these things happening, we kind of feel the way that Anne Rice felt about the church. 
Maybe you don't know who Anne Rice is. If you don't, let me introduce you to Anne Rice. Anne Rice is a fairly famous novelist, has sold millions and millions of books. Probably her uh, most famous book, uh, because it became a fairly well-known movie, is a book called Interview with the Vampires, a movie with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the 90s, about 20 years ago. But she wrote the book in the 70s and sold millions and millions of copies. She actually wrote the novel while she was still in graduate school. So very early on, Anne Rice sold a ton of books. And then she went on to write the Vampire Chronicle series, selling millions and millions of books. Before 1998, Anne Rice was a self-avowed, very outspoken atheist. In fact, some people really saw her as a, as a leader in the atheist movement. Didn't believe in God, didn't want anything to do with God. And then in 1998, something happened. Anne Rice fell into a coma and nearly died. And when she came out of that experience, she was led to go back to the church where she had grown up. And she moved from staunch atheist to devoted follower of Jesus Christ in 1998. In fact, in 2005, she decided that she needed to to devote all of her writing and then all of her work to God, to take those gifts. So she stopped with the Vampire Chronicles series in 2004, and she started writing historical fiction around the life of Jesus Christ. And she also wrote her own testimony, called out of darkness, a spiritual confession, wrote her own testimony, did interviews on the 700 Club, did an I Am Second video. This was her testimony. She had been radically saved and radically started to follow Jesus Christ. And then, in July of 2010, 12 years after she started following Jesus, she wrote this on her Facebook page. Today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. In the name of Christ, I quit Christianity. My faith in Christ is central to my life. My conversion from a pessimistic atheist lost in a world I didn't understand to an optimistic believer in a universe created and sustained by a loving God is crucial to me. But following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity. Now, we hear Anne Rice's words, and in some ways, they sound pretty valiant, and she makes some valid points. I mean, certainly, the person of Christ is more important than Christianity, and to be honest, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of quarrelsome, hostile people either. I don't want to hang out with people like that, and I don't know what disputatious means, but it doesn't sound good. And so I don't want to hang out with those people either. And, and, and so you know, I read those words and, I, and I, I say to myself, I get it. I understand it. Being a part of the body, being a part of the church, it's not always easy. 
Sometimes it's hard work. And so the question that remains is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the, are the benefits of staying a part of the family, are the benefits of staying a part of the body of Christ, of being a part of the church, is it worth it? Or is it better, as Anne Rice has done, to remove yourself from the community and just follow Christ on your own? In some ways, it sounds pretty good. I can sit at home. I can have a cup of coffee. In fact, there is an entire movement of people in the blogosphere that are, that are for this. Donald Miller, who was once a famous, uh, he wrote a really famous book called Blue Like Jazz about 15 years ago. He's a big proponent of this, that you just stay at home and you listen to your worship CDs and you listen to whatever preacher uh, speaks your language and, and you hang out with people that you get along with and you can encourage one another in your faith. Is that better than the difficult work of being a part of the body? Well, we're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning that I think answers that question for us. And it's in Hebrews chapter 10. And the writer of Hebrews at this point is talking to the Christians about what they are to do and how they are to live between the gap between Jesus coming and dying and being resurrected and ascending back into heaven and the second coming of Christ. So the writer of Hebrews says that, you know, there's a gap there. We had Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead and he went to live in heaven and one day he's going to come back Again, what do we do with the gap? What do we do in the meantime? All of us who are left here, uh, who, are, who are following Jesus, how are we supposed to spend our time? And in these few short verses, the writer of Hebrews gives us three things that we should be doing and one thing that we should not stop doing. Just in these short verses, and we'll go through them fairly quickly, he gives us three things that we should be doing and one thing that we should not stop doing. Here's what he said it's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let me stop there. What is he talking about here? A new way to enter through the curtain that is his body. Just briefly, if you remember back to the Old Testament, and maybe you've never read this part before, but, but the people, there was, a, there was a temple in the Old Testament, and within the middle of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, the glory of God dwelt specifically and in that place, within the Holy of Holies. There was within that place the ark, not the one that had the animals, the one that Indiana Jones found. That ark, the ark of the covenant, was in the Holy of Holies. And, and uh, once a year, the high priest would go into that place, into the presence of God, and, and would offer sacrifice on behalf of 
The people. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, if you read the, read the book or you saw the movie, you remember this happening? When Jesus died on the cross, that, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two, meaning now that the presence of God, which was at, was at that point localized within the Holy of Holies, is now available to all of us at the same time. There used to be a priest standing between the people and God. Now there was no need for that because the presence of God was everywhere through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the author says, now since that happened, what do we do? Since that's the reality, that you and I can have access to the very presence of God himself, what do we do? Well, the first thing we do, he says, is this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure Water. He says the first thing we need to do is let us draw near to God in faith. Since Christ has done this on our behalf and opened up the door where we can have access to the very presence of God, then draw near to him in faith. Get close to God in faith. Go boldly. No one would have approached the Holy of Holies. They would have surely died if they had entered inappropriately into the Holy of Holies. If they weren't the high priest at that one time of year and they rushed into that place, they would have died instantly. And the author is saying, now we have access to this. Don't be afraid, but go with the full assurance of faith into God's presence. And the first thing he says to do is because Christ has done this on our behalf and before he comes, let's draw near in faith to him. And the second thing he says is this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So not only should we draw near to God in faith, but we should hold on to the hope The hope that Christ is who he says he is. That he died and was rose again on our behalf for our sins. And that he is coming again. And that we will live in eternity with him. As it gets harder and harder in this world to hang on to that. The author says, hold on to that hope. When life is difficult and it seems like the whole world is against that belief system. And it seems like it's very difficult. Hold on to that hope. Draw near in faith. And hold on to hope. And then he gives us a third one. And this third one, this is the one that makes us question whether or not it's worth it. We're all for drawing near to God in faith. All for drawing near together into his presence through music and everything else. All for holding on to hope. But this last one, this is the one that makes us question whether or not we should really stick it out. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem like a big problem. In fact, I'm for that. I, I, that's why I come to church. I want to experience love, and I want to be a better person. I want to do the right thing, so this is a good thing. I want to be uh, more love and more good deeds. That's, that's great. That's why I'm Here, and the thing is, when I picture that, when I picture more love and I picture more good deeds, what I picture is I picture everyone holding hands. I picture maybe a campfire, uh, all of us together. Maybe something like, like We Are the World plays behind us or like Kumbaya or something that we would all just come together and it would be this perfect sort of, of mix 
of everyone and, and love and good deeds would flow out of it. But it's important for us to notice that that's not what the author says here at all. He uses an interesting word. The word he chooses to use is spur. Or in some of your translations, it may say provoke. In other translations, it says stir up. But none of those words, none of the translations uh, elicit uh, campfires and songs and, and unity and harmony and everything else. In fact, the author says, we're going to get to love and good works by going through some challenges and going through some pain. Ask the horse who's had his side kicked with a spur on the back of some, of some cowboy's boot. Ask him if he felt the love and the warmth from the cowboy to get him to gallop. No, there is pain involved in that action. The horse responds to the pain. The horse does what it's supposed to do out of an action that has some positive results but some negative things happening. One thing that's so interesting to me is, as I took a look at the, this verse over the last few weeks, is that that Greek word that's translated there, provoke or stir or spur, that Greek word is used only one other time in the New Testament. And we don't really have time to get into the whole situation here this morning. But when the church first started out, there's a guy named Paul, used to be Saul, named Paul, wrote like half the New Testament. He knows this guy named Barnabas, and they got into a big disagreement. They were going to go out on a trip together, and Barnabas wanted to take this, this kid, John Mark, who had quit on them the first time, and Paul didn't want to take him at all. And in fact, they disagreed so severely on this that they parted ways, and they went their separate directions. The only other time that this word is used in the New Testament is to describe the sharp and harsh disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. This is what it says. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. There's our word, our Greek word, translated disagreement in this verse. So that they were separated from each other, Paul and Barnabas. So you could really translate this verse in Hebrews and let us consider how we may disagree with one another on towards love and good works. Let us consider how we might agitate one another on towards love and good works. And this is the part that makes us question whether or not it's really worth it to walk through being a part of the body and a part of the family. Because it's not always easy and it's not always pretty. And sometimes we get hurt and sometimes we hurt others and sometimes there's gossip and sometimes I have to go and I have to ask forgiveness and sometimes people have to come to me and, and ask for my forgiveness and sometimes they probably should ask for my forgiveness but they never come and do it and sometimes I hear that people are talking about me behind my back. Sometimes I come into the sanctuary and I sit down and someone else comes along and tells me I've taken their seat. Sometimes it's just messy. Sometimes it, it just doesn't go well and, and it's agitating and it's complicated and it's provoking and it's and it's, it's like a spur in our side, and we disagree, and it's not always what we think it should be. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, you have a, an opportunity in that moment 
You can either engage in the difficult work of being the body of Christ. You can either engage in the hard work and see great results of love and good works. Or you can kind of choose just to kind of be around. Just to show up every once in a while. And kind of be around spiritual things and hope it kind of rubs off. And kind of listen from a distance to what people are saying and, 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 and hope something changes. Or you could just give up and stop going. What the author of Hebrews is, is telling us is that if we refuse to participate and walk through the challenge and walk through the difficult things and be reconciled to one another and learn what it means to love unselfishly and learn what it means to, to not always have our personal preferences met and see God speak in ways we never thought was possible and experience his presence through music we never thought we liked and see all these things that God does in and among us, if we are willing to walk through the difficult times and we're willing to fight for the body and fight for the family, then greater love and good deeds will resolve. And so he says, in that gap, in that gap, here's the three things that you should be doing. Hold on to faith. I draw near in faith. Hold on to hope. And spur one another on. Spur one another on. Not intentionally, but work through the difficult things towards love and good works. And then he says that there's one thing, if those things are going to happen, if those three things are going to happen, drawing near in faith, holding on to hope, and spurring one another on to love and good works, if those three things are going to happen, then there is one thing that we cannot stop doing. And let us not give up on meeting together. Let us not give up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we're going to get these things done, if we're going to draw near in faith and be in God's presence, we're going to hold on to the hope of Jesus Christ, we're going we're to spur one another on. The worst thing that we could do is to stop gathering together. These things happen when we gather together. We enter into God's presence. We are reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we walk through the difficult stuff of being a part of the family of God so that there is greater love and greater good works. The worst thing that we could do is just stop meeting together because it hinders the growth. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us this morning is that when it comes to your faith, when it comes to your faith, don't grow it alone. Don't grow it alone. Anne Rice, in 2013, so in 2010, she said she was done with the community. In 2013, she posted on her Facebook page that she's a secular humanist. And in 2014, released another Vampire Chronicles book, the first vampire book that she had written since she had said she was dedicating her work to the Lord. I can't help but wonder if she had fought for the community, if she had stayed within the body rather than saying, following Christ is something I can do on my own, to my own preferences, if her faith would not have remained strong, 
Listen, I get it. You've been hurt in church. People hurt you. Leaders have hurt you. People who were supposed to be the moral authority turned out to be worse than everyone else. Someone's talked behind your back. Someone made you feel uncomfortable on a Sunday morning. I, I get it. All that stuff happens. I, I've been in church my whole life. Church is, is messy sometimes, and people are people. And all that stuff that's out in the world, it, it makes its way in here because we're not perfect yet. But let me encourage you this morning not to allow those things to push you to give up on the community. Don't allow those things to push you away. Don't allow the enemy to take you out of community and take you out of the body and take you out of the family of God because of all those little things. But rather, would we as the community of faith engage in those things and work through those things that we might be spurred on to greater love and greater works for Jesus Christ. I understand that it's not easy sometimes. It's not easy for any of us sometimes, but let us not give up on meeting together. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our faith, would we not grow it alone? But would we grow it in the body of Christ the way God has called us to? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as we do, I'd invite you, as they come, I'd invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes. And just think with me for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. And it's been a long time since you've been to church. Maybe you're here this morning and it's been a long time since you've been part of the community. And maybe it's because the community hurt you at one point or, you know, maybe not even this community, but just a church community in general. You felt hurt, you felt abandoned, you felt wounded. And so you haven't been a part of that community for a long time. I would encourage you this morning in these moments that we have just to talk to God. Talk to him and, and ask him to help you find that place where you can be a part of the family of God and be a part of the body of Christ. And I would ask you to consider recommitting yourself to the difficult work of being a part of God's family for the greater results. And you know, maybe some of us in this place, maybe we're in the community. Maybe we're really a part of it. Maybe, maybe we're, we're in it each and every week and we're here maybe more than once a week. But maybe we know that we've wounded somebody and maybe we need to go and, and, and talk to them and ask them for forgiveness. Or maybe we've been wounded and we've been holding on to it. And maybe today is the day that we give it to God and say, God, I'm not gonna carry this any longer. But whether they ask for forgiveness or not, I'm giving it to you. And maybe you're here this morning and the only reason you don't follow Jesus is because you look at the church and the church kind of has turned you off. Don't let that be an excuse to following Jesus Christ. 
As Jesus' followers, we are not perfect. We are following the one who is perfect. We are being made perfect through the Holy Spirit over time. But we will not be perfect until we stand with him in eternity in heaven. So don't let the imperfections of his followers stop you from following the one who is your Lord and your salvation, following the one who can forgive you for your sins, follow the one that can offer you eternal life and redemption and restoration. Don't allow that to be an excuse for following Jesus Christ. And so maybe today would be the day that you say, you know what, I'm not going to make that excuse anymore. I'm going to start following Jesus this morning. God, I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for your family. Lord, I thank you that you have called us together and that we do have this common bond of being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would do well as we gather to draw near in faith and to hold on to the hope in Jesus Christ and to spur one another, to work through it, onto love and onto good works. God, would we be committed as your body and your family to doing the difficult work, to walking through the difficult things of relationship so that you might be glorified in and through through us. Lord, use us for your glory. Ready us for your purposes. And may we not only be committed to you, but committed to your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing one last song together this morning?